Chapter Two of Lady Baltimore. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lois Hill. Lady Baltimore by Owen Wister. Chapter Two. I vary my lunch. Thus it was that I came to sojourn in the most appealing, the most lovely, the most wistful town in America, whose visible sadness and distinctions seem also to speak audibly, speak in the sound of the quiet waves that ripple round her southern front, speak in the church bells on Sunday morning, and breathe not only in the soft salt air, but in the perfume of every gentle old-fashioned rose that blooms behind the high garden walls of falling, mellow-tinted plaster. King's Port the retrospective, King's Port the belated, who from her pensive porticoes looks over her two rivers to the marshes and the trees beyond, the live oaks veiled in gray moss, brooding with memories. Were she my city, how I should love her! But though my city she cannot be, the enchanting image of her is mine to keep, to carry with me wheresoever I may go. For who, having seen her, could forget her? Therefore I thank Aunt Carola for this gift, and for what must always go with it in my mind, the quiet and strange romance which I saw happen, and came finally to share in. Why it is that my aunt no longer wishes to know either the boy or the girl, or even to hear their names mentioned, you shall learn at the end, when I have finished with the wedding. For this happy story of love ends with the wedding, and begins in the woman's exchange, which the ladies of Kingsport have established, and, I trust, lucratively conduct, in Royal Street. Royal Street! There's a relevance in this name, a fitness to my errand, but that is pure accident. The woman's exchange happened to be there, a decorous resort for those who became hungry, as I did, at the hour of noon each day. In my very pleasant boarding-house, where, to be sure, there was one dreadful boarder, a tall lady, whom I soon secretly called Juno, but let unpleasant things wait. In the very pleasant house where I boarded, I had left my hotel after one night, our breakfast was at eight, and our dinner not until three, sacred meal-hours in King's Port, as inviolable, I fancy, as the Declaration of Independence, but a gap quite beyond the stretch of my northern vitals. Therefore, at twelve, it was my habit to leave my fanning researches for a while, and lunch at the exchange upon chocolate and sandwiches most delicate in savor. As one day I was luxuriously biting one of these, I heard his voice and what he was saying. Both the voice and the interesting order he was giving caused me, at my small table, in the dim back of the room, to stop and watch him where he stood in the light at the counter to the right of the entrance door. Young he was, very young, twenty-two or three at the most, and as he stood with hat in hand, speaking to the pretty girl behind the counter, his head and side-face were of a romantic and high-strung look. It was a cake that he desired made, a cake for a wedding, and I directly found myself curious to know whose wedding. Even a dull wedding interests me more than other dull events, because it can arouse so much surmise and so much prophecy but in this wedding I instantly, because of his strange and winning embarrassment, became quite absorbed. How came it he was ordering the cake for it? Blushing like the boy that he was entirely, he spoke in a most engaging voice. No, not charged. 
and as you don't know me I had better pay for it now. Self-possession in his speech he almost had, but the blood in his cheeks and forehead was beyond his control. A reply came from behind the counter. We don't expect payment until delivery. But, uh, but on, on that morning I shall be rather particularly engaged. His tone sank almost away on these words. We should prefer to wait, then. You will leave your address. In half-pound boxes, I suppose? Boxes? Oh, yes, I, I hadn't thought. No, just a big round one. Like this, you know. His arms embraced a circular space of air. With plenty of icing. I do not think that there was any smile on the other side of the counter. There was, at any rate, no hint of one in the voice. And how many pounds? He was again staggered. Why, uh, I never ordered one before. I want plenty. And the very best, the very best. Each person would eat a pound, wouldn't they? Or would two be nearer? I think I'd better leave it all to you. About like this, you know? Once more his arms embraced a circular space of air. Before this I had never heard the young lady behind the counter enter into any conversation with the customer. She would talk at length about all sorts of Kingsport affairs with the older ladies connected with the exchange, who were frequently to be found there, but with the customer never. She always took my orders and my money and served me with a silence and a propriety that have become, with ordinary shopkeepers, a lost art. They talked to one indeed, but this slim girl was a lady and consequently did the right thing, marking and keeping a distance between herself and the public. Today, however, she evidently felt it her official duty to guide the hapless young man amid his errors. He now appeared to be committing a grave one. "'Are you quite sure you want that?' the girl was asking. "'Lady Baltimore, yes, that is what I want.' "'Because,' she began to explain, then hesitated and looked at him, "'perhaps it was in his face.' Perhaps it was that she remembered at this point the serious difference between the price of Lady Baltimore, by my small bill of fare I was now made acquainted with its price, and the cost of that rich article which convention has prescribed as the cake for weddings, at any rate swift, sudden delicacy of feeling, prevented her explaining any more to him, for she saw how it was. His means were too humble for the approved kind of wedding cake. She was too young too unskilled yet in the world's ways to rise above her embarrassment, and so she stood blushing at him behind the counter while he stood blushing at her in front of it. At length he succeeded in speaking. "'That's all, I believe. Good morning.' At his hastily departing back she, too, murmured, "'Good morning.' Before I knew it I had screamed out loudly from my table, "'But he hasn't told you the day he wants it for!' Before she knew it she had flown to the door, my cry had set her going as if I had touched a spring, and there he was at the door himself, rushing back. He, too, had remembered. It was almost a collision, and nothing but their good southern breeding, the way they took it, saved it from being like a rowdy farce. "'I know,' he said simply and immediately. "'I am sorry to be so careless. It's for the twenty-seventh. She was writing it down in the order-book. "'Very well. That is Wednesday of next week.' You have given us more time than we need. She put complete, impersonal business into her tone, and this time he marched off in good order, leaving peace in the woman's exchange. No, not peace, quiet, merely. The girl at the counter now proceeded to grow indignant with me. 
We were alone together, we two. No young man or any other business occupied her or protected me. But if you suppose that she made war, or expressed rage by speaking, that is not it at all. From her counter in front to my table at the back she made her displeasure felt. She was inaudibly crushing. She did not do it even with her eye. She managed it, well, with her neck somehow, and by the way she made her nose look in profile. Aunt Carola would have embraced her, and I should have liked to do so myself. She could not stand the idea of my having, after all these days of official reserve that she had placed between us, startled her into that rush to the door, annihilated her dignity at a blow. So did I finish my sandwiches beneath her invisible but eloquent fire. What affair of mine was the cake? And what sort of impertinent, meddlesome person was I, shrieking out my suggestions to people with whom I had no acquaintance? These were the things that her nose and her neck said to me the whole length of the exchange. I had nothing but my own weakness to thank. It was my interest in weddings that did it, made me forget my decorum, the public place, myself, everything, and plunge in. And I became more and more delighted over it as the girl continued to crush me. My day had been dull. My researches had not brought me a whit nearer royal blood. I looked at my little bill of fare, and then I stepped forward to the counter, adventurous but polite. "'I should like a slice, if you please, of Lady Baltimore,' I said with extreme formality. I thought she was going to burst, but after an interesting second she replied, "'Certainly,' in her fit, regular, exchange tone, only I thought it trembled a little. I returned to the table, and she brought me the cake, and I had my first felicitous meeting with Lady Baltimore.' Oh, my goodness, did you ever taste it? It's all soft, and it's in layers, and it has nuts, but I can't write any more about it. My mouth waters too much. Delighted surprise caused me once more to speak aloud and with my mouth full. But, dear me, this is delicious. A choking ripple of laughter came from the counter. It's I who make them, said the girl. I thank you for the unintentional compliment. Then she walked straight back to my table. "'I can't help it,' she said, laughing still, and her delightful, insolent nose well up. "'How can I behave myself when a man goes on as you do?' A nice white curly dog followed her, and she stroked his ears. "'Your behavior is very agreeable to me,' I remarked. "'You'll allow me to say that you're not invited to criticize it. I was decidedly put out with you for making me ridiculous.' but you have admired my cake with such enthusiasm that you are forgiven. And may I hope that you are getting on famously with the Battle of Cowpens? I stared. I'm frankly very much astonished that you should know about that. Oh, you're just known all about in King's Port. I wish that our miserable alphabet could in some way render the soft southern accent which she gave to her words, but it cannot. I could easily misspell if I chose— but how even then could I, for instance, make you hear her way of saying, about? A boot would magnify it, and besides, I declined to make ugly to the eye her quite special English that was so charming to the ear. Kingsport just knows all about you, she repeated with a sweet and mocking laugh. Do you mind telling me how? She explained at once. This place is death to all incognitos. The explanation, however, did not, on the instant, enlighten me. This? 
The woman's exchange, you mean? Why, to be sure. Have you not heard ladies talking together here? I blankly repeated her words. Ladies talking? She nodded. Oh, I cried, how dull of me. Ladies talking, of course. She continued. It was therefore widely known that you were consulting our South Carolina archives at the library, and then that notebook you bring marked you out the very first day. Why, two hours after your first lunch we just knew all about you. Dear me, said I. King's Port is ever ready to discuss strangers, she further explained. The exchange has been going on five years, and the resident families have discussed each other so thoroughly here that everything is known. Therefore a stranger is a perfect boon. Her gaiety for a moment interrupted her. Before she continued, always mocking and always sweet, King's Port cannot boast intelligence offices for servants. But if you want to know the character and occupation of your friends, come to the exchange. How I wish I could give you the raciness, the contagion of her laughter. Who would have dreamed that behind her primness all this frolic lay in ambush? Why, she said, I'm only a plantation girl. It's my first week here, and I know every wicked deed everybody has done since 1812. She went back to her counter. It had been very merry, and as I was settling the small debt for my lunch, I asked, Since this is the proper place for information, will you kindly tell me whose wedding that cake is for? She was astonished. You don't know? And I thought you were quite a clever, yet... I beg your pardon, northerner. Please tell me, since I know you're quite a clever reb, I beg your pardon, southerner. Why, it's his own. Couldn't you see that from his bashfulness? Ordering his own wedding cake? Amazement held me. But the door opened, one of the elderly ladies entered, the girl behind the counter stiffened to primness in a flash, and I went out into Royal Street as the curly dog's tail wagged his greeting to the newcomer. End of chapter 2. Recording by Lois Hill, Kamei, Idaho.